This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director, and I'll be hosting this episode. This week, drinks writer Hannah introduces editor Laura to sparkling red wines and recommends two very different styles to try. And later, I'm off to the annual Scotch Egg Challenge with editorial assistant Ellie to find out which chef has made 2018's ultimate bar snack. But first up, digital and cookery assistant Amanda learns about the Wonder Drink kombucha and how easy it is to make your own at home. I'm here with David Begg from the Real Brewing Company, um, who brew real kombucha. And we're here to talk about kombucha. <laughs> How many times can I say it? Um, so I thought we, we thought we'd talk about um, the process of kombucha first, what it tastes like, what it's like, how you can make it, and generally, what is kombucha? Hi, Amanda. Thanks very much. Uh, pleased to be here. Um, yeah, just a little bit about kombucha. So kombucha is a technically a yeast and bacterial fermentation of sweet tea. So um, you apply, you, you make a, a tea so yep. it's a uh, a tea but without milk and can it be any tea <laughs> uh, it's got to be a standard tea so it's got to be a tea which is made from the plant camellia sinensis which okay. is the basic uh, plant that makes all of your black teas oolong teas green teas yep. white teas but it can't be a herb tea and it can't could, could it be just a pg tips yeah absolutely it when i first started brewing you know put a uh, a tea bag in the pot <laughs> and it, uh, yeah it works it works absolutely fine okay um, so you basically brew a sweet tea. Yep. So you take a, um, a, a tea, uh, a, a certain amount, a, a little bit less concentration that you would make a normal cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Uh, you sweeten it, but not too much sugar. Uh, a little bit, little. And is bit that of sugar. just any sort of sugar? Yeah. Well, it's, it's got to be a sucrose, so okay. you can't use a honey. Uh, you have to use something, you know, a cane sugar or a, um, or like a, a beet raw, sugar, yeah. but a standard, a standard okay. sugar. Yeah. Uh, it's basic sucrose. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you, you make up the tea, you sweeten it, uh, you cool it. And it's very important to cool it yeah. uh, before you add uh, the culture to it. Now, uh, culture is, um, is this combination of yeast and bacteria, yeah. so different to a wine or a beer that uh, just uses yeast in fermentation. Uh, we are effectively... Like like the pr- production of wine and then the production of vinegar. So vinegars are made from taking wine and adding bacteria to it, which yeah. convert the the alcohols in the wine into um, into acids. So it's a very um, similar process. Yeah, so it's a very very similar yeah, process of, of the, uh, the two of those. Um, so we put our culture into uh, into the tanks and uh, leave it for a few weeks. Uh, and then we get the, these fabulous flavours that, uh, that ultimately make kombucha. Nice. And the culture itself, is that... So we, we were talking about the ingredients that you yeah. put into it. And the culture, is that like the scoby that you get? Or the scoby, is that the thing that sits on top of the kombucha? Right. Well, when, you, when you buy, uh, if you're making uh, kombucha at home, when yeah. you buy your culture, you buy it as a combination of the liquid and uh, what's called the scoby. Now, scoby, uh, it stands for symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. Oh. So there we that's go. Where that's your, what you just said. <laughs> that's where your bacteria and yeast come from. But actually, the scoby is a piece of cellulose which the bacteria make uh, during the fermentation process, and it's, it's sort of their home. It's not. Okay. It's not the culture in itself. It's a. It's a network of, of cells which allow the the yeast and bacteria to reside at the top of the tank, or in the if you make it at home, at the top of the pot, uh, and get them close to the air because they need oxygen in order to um, uh, to respire and to uh, to reproduce and so make a make a great kombucha. Oh, nice. And when you feel making kombucha at home, um, is there any signs that you'd say, firstly, if anything was going wrong, if you're like, oh, God, this does not look like it's going to go right, it's smelling funny, I don't know, is there signs or is it really hard for it to be go wrong? Yeah, no, I, I, it's difficult for me to say that kombucha is easy to make because, of course, I'm going to say kombucha is really hard to make. Um, but uh, no, I mean kombucha is pretty is pretty straightforward to make. So long as you've got a good strong culture, then your kombucha will generally ferment uh, ferment well. A few things you've got to make sure. Uh, one is if you use uh, liquid which is too hot, so okay. over 35 degrees. So never just boil your tea and then put kombucha straight, straight into in it because you'll kill it straight off. Um, so if failing at the first hurdle. If you find out that you're after after a few days of, uh, of brewing, there's no uh, change in the flavour. You're right, still tasting yeah. tea in the pot. Mm-hmm. 
you may have killed your culture. Um, oh God! So just make sure it's you know often you put a thermometer in it before you put your culture in, and you're you're good for that. Um, you can get mold on it. Okay. I, in all the years I've been doing kombucha, I've only had mold on it once. Uh, so you know it's pretty rare if your conditions are right. Uh, also, you've got to keep your pot uh, relatively warm. So don't put it in a cold outhouse because like below... making a cup of a pot of tea when people warm the pot. No. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. A little bit. But uh, you know, it, effectively, you know, you've got to, you've got to keep your yeast and bacteria warm. Yeah, definitely. Warm. You know, if they, if, if that's they're... how they um, react with each other, isn't yeah, it? In exactly. a warm. So you know, you've got to keep your your it's like culture. Making bread above 20 degrees um, for anything to happen. Otherwise, everything yeah. really slows down. Uh, and below about 12 degrees, nothing happens. It's like putting something in the fridge. You're putting it in the fridge to stop yeah, any the yeast process. and bacteria yeah, processes yeah. happening. So you oh. certainly don't want it there. It's up at the other end. Yeah. The warmer you get. And how long um, does it usually take to make kombucha, would you say? Well, for us, uh, it, we, you know, we brew in, in large tanks. So yeah. we're, we're brewing in large stainless steel tanks. Um, and we've got very, very controlled conditions uh, in what we do. Uh, and for us, a, a fermentation will take anywhere between, say, two and four weeks. So it's quite okay. a long process. Yeah. Mm. It's a very gradual process. We maintain our conditions very exactly to get yeah. the flavours that we're particularly looking for coming out of the, uh, coming out of the, the fermentation. If you're brewing at home, uh, that might take, even if it's quite warm, it might even take four or five days. Usually, it's probably seven or eight days in a small pot on the kitchen counter. will usually take about seven or eight days to, mm. to ferment. So you can get it pretty fast, yeah. get it coming out pretty quickly. And pretty. you don't um, add extra flavourings or sugars to your kombucha. It's like, um, I mean, I've tasted it. We're tasting it here and we can talk about that in a minute. But And it tastes very pure like it's not it's not too sweet it's not too um flavored as such it's very naturally tasting if you know what i mean but some people do add flavors but yeah you keep uh, yours traditionally kombucha has been a flavored product so you had a little bit of the history to kombucha mm. which has been around for probably over a couple of thousand years first mention of fermented tea was in china um in the uh, well, suggested is the emperor in the Quinn dynasty. Whether that's completely true or not, we we'll don't go know. with it. Um, but um, uh, yeah, so it's been around for a long, long time. But it was often used at that time, and then uh, through uh, it's, it's swept through Mongolia into Russia and and Germany, oh, Poland, Ukraine, um, and often it was used as, as a health tonic, so yeah, a bit yeah, like yeah. an apple cider vinegar. So it was brewed to something that was really potent, and then of course. That's pretty unpalatable to drink. Yeah. It's like drinking, almost drinking a vinegar. Yeah. Um, and so people would top it up with juices and, and spices and other things to make it palatable. We've perfected a process by which you can brew something that is uh, re really, really delicate flavours that come out. And we use only fine teas in that fermentation process. So we use a uh, you know, first flush Darjeeling uh, in our yeah. royal flush. We use a Dragonwell, Chinese Dragonwell green tea mm. in our dry dragon or a really beautiful smoky Yunnan tea from southern China uh, in, our, uh, in our smokehouse. And those teas themselves produce exquisite flavours, really, really special flavours, um, alongside our fermentation process, which means you don't need to, uh, to flavour at all. The flavours themselves are, are so good on their own. A bit like producing a fine wine or a champagne. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you wouldn't take a fine wine or a champagne and then stick juices in it. So how do you go about choosing your tea? Like, do you have, like, quite a, not strict process, but do you have, like, specific flavours and things that you're after and there's a certain teas that you want to choose to... Yeah. Perfect that. Yeah, we've um, we work with a really great uh, tea uh, supplier uh, who's actually written the World Atlas of Tea. Ah, uh, so the World Atlas. Atlas. <laughs> so oh, I need to get my hands on that. Or for my dad, who drinks <laughs> plenty of tea. <laughs> anybody wants to know the real yeah. detail of it, um, go get the book. But um, uh, we w work with him to uh, select based upon a flavour profile that we're looking for yeah. uh, in our kombuchas. And he comes up with teas that we then trial. So we've gone through, to even produce the three tea, the three kombuchas that we uh, we sell, we've gone through almost 150 different teas God. in fermentation uh, to be able to get specific flavours yeah. that we're looking for coming out. Because what's really interesting is that um, the flavour you put into the pot in the tea isn't necessarily yeah. the flavour you get out with a kombucha. No, yeah. Because it's actually the, the proteins and the polyphenols, um, etc., in the tea themselves that uh, work with the yeasts and the bacteria to produce different flavours. Oh. So the ultimate flavour isn't necessarily what you started the, with. Yeah, yeah, with and the tea that you had initially. Yeah. in the background, yeah, yeah, yeah. background to it. So, for example, with our, 
um, with our Yunnan, we were looking, which produces a smokehouse, mm-hmm. we were looking for a particularly smoky, delicate smoky flavour um, to come out of the kombucha uh, on top of these notes of apple and caramel uh, that are really pre- prevalent in black tea um, uh, ferments. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took us 20 to 25 teas, experimenting with different yeah. ones, to find the one that fitted that particular flavour. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, it wasn't smokiness in the original tea that made smokiness in the final kombucha. I can't <laughs> it tell often, you what it is. It often happens like that though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You go through a lot of process and yeah. testing and trying to find yeah. the right product that suits what it is that you're after. So, And it's part of the fun of doing it. Yeah. You know, we're, we're doing this You've because tasted we a lot of tea. flavour. You know? <laughs> um, so, and, and if someone's producing their own kombucha at home, they can do that as well. I yeah. mean, I, I was lucky in the first pot of kombucha that I put on at home that we had some pretty special fine teas that we'd been on holiday in India, we'd yeah. been to some tea nice. plantations yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and found them. Um, and I put a few different teas in the pot. I knew very little about tea at that time. Wow. Um, but the most amazing different flavours came out. So if someone wants to, at home, produce something with a with a, an oolong tea versus mm. a PG tips versus a, <laughs> a, a really special silver needles white tea, yeah. you can produce some really different interesting flavours and, really and aromas yeah, yeah differences that come out of it so. well we've uh, David just let me try the Royal Flush which is one of their popular flavours I mean lots of them do really well but this one's quite and it's very I'd say it's very um, it's not sweetness sorry but it's, it's very floral and rose tasting and vanilla yeah um, and it definitely has a slight vin- vinegary taste but I think that's kombucha in general isn't yeah. it it's meant to have that vinegary it's got an, what we would say is an acid bite. Yeah. Um, so actually, in the production of kombucha, it doesn't produce acetic acid, which is, or very little bit, which is vinegar. Yeah. It produces something called gluconic acid, which is a much more softer and more delicate yeah. acid. Um, so you don't get that really sharp vinegar no, bite. It makes it very drinkable. Yeah. yeah. And it's a lovely sort of, if you were going to a bar or something, it'd be a lovely alternative to just like a gin and tonic or whatever, I don't know, yeah. or a fizzy, a fizzy champagne or something. It's, yeah, it's got a lot of punchy flavour in there, which I really like. And um, how do you... One question I was wondering is the fizziness of the kombucha itself. How do you make sure that it has that carbonated... That little bite. Yes. <laughs> um, Kombucha is naturally carbonated okay. in the fermentation process because as you ferment, it produces carbon dioxide through fermentation. Mm. All fermentation produces a level of carbon dioxide. So when we take it out of, um, out of our big vats, um, there is a certain amount of fizziness in it. But in order to ensure that it is, we get a consistent level of carbonation across the whole uh, production, um, we do add additional carbon dioxide. So in, in the process of bottling it, we will add a little bit more carbon dioxide. Interesting, nice. Yeah, I really like that kind of fizziness to it. It makes it more of a special drink, I'd say. And how, how would you suggest storing it as well? If you're at home, like, how's the best way to store it to make sure it keeps and yeah. you can keep it lasts, essentially? Yeah. Well, again, slightly different to if you're brewing it at home versus if you're, you know, you're buying some of our, yeah. our own kombuchas. Um, if you're brewing at home, then generally you're going to be putting it into a bottle which you've you know, you're bottling it yourself straight out yeah. of the uh, out of your. Um, often, we'll use kilner jars, so the, the kilner jars okay, with the taps yeah. on them. Mm-hmm. A perfect yeah. kombucha <laughs> producer, so you yeah. can just tap it yeah. into into a bottle. Generally, we would say keep it reasonably cold. So, if you know if it's cold outside, put it in the you know put it outside on the windowsill okay. or the garage yeah. or you know, or ideally put it in the fridge because it will the flavour will evolve over time. It'll sit in the warm uh, without a problem for for a few weeks, but what you don't want is um, to leave it for six months. No, okay. The way we bottle means, well, both the way we ferment mm-hmm. uh, and the way we bottle means that uh, you can keep our product at ambient temperature for, for months oh, without much of a, of a, a change. A change in it. It's in not going to go too vinegary or... Well, we, we ferment, so we use a relatively small amount of sugar in our ferment to start with mm. and it actually brews down to something that ends about 1.5% to 2% sugar, so a very little bit of sugar in it. In a whole bottle, you've got less than 50 calories. Um, So really quite a low (laughs) Low, level uh, in there. Um, And so there's actually very little sugar left in the bottle to continue the fermentation. Uh, If you're brewing something that stops more sweet, then it will, that sugar will slowly be consumed in the bottle because it's still live yeast and bacteria in the bottle. We also make sure that we get rid of all of the uh, oxygen in the bottle when we, when we bottle it. Okay, right. And because you need oxygen in order to, for the yeast and bacteria to To work. To activate, yeah. um, When we're taking it out, it really slows it down. 
So, you know, I'm still drinking bottles that we produced a year, year and a half ago. And all right, they're a bit more acidic. Yeah, the, the acidity does develop slowly uh, okay. in the bottle, but I still love it. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. quite like a, a bit of a punchy uh, kombucha. Yeah, but definitely. yeah, the flavour changes slowly over time. So when you get one uh, right at the beginning, it's slightly more floral, fruity, um, or more fresh. You, you know, you notice those sort of fresh flavors. Yeah. And after maybe three, four, six months, you'll notice those flavors rounding out, much as a wine would yeah, round out at definitely, a time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but we don't kind store it for five years. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's more over months. And with your individual flavors, um, when you brew your kombucha and the teas and everything, are there certain? Do you have, um, <clears throat> say, the Royal Flush? Do you brew that for a lot longer than you would say? your dragon well or something like just to so if one wants to be a bit more punchy with the vinegar and one is that how you'd say you'd do it you'd brew it longer to give it a more punchy vinegary taste or a bit more acidity or a bit less if you wanted a more sweeter yeah actually we brew all of our um kombuchas to exactly the same level of acidity okay um it's interesting that though they taste slightly different because yeah, because I think that they dragon, might become stronger. Or well, the dry dragon yeah. tastes a lot sharper because actually in the fermentation process, the uh, yeast produces flavours which are more like grapefruit and lemon. Uh, and so on your tongue, we're used to a grapefruit or a lemon flavour yeah. being acidic. So yeah. we, we think that that drink is more acidic than, say, with the Royal Flush, you get notes of rhubarb and gooseberry and rose, as you yeah. say. Um, slightly more rounded, fruity, floral flavours. And so they mask some of the acidity in it. Mm. So it's more just that the flavours, the way that your mouth reacts to the flavours in the uh, in the drinks changes the way that we, uh, we perceive it. Yeah. And so is your Royal Kombucha, is that readily available to buy for people? Or will you be... Will that be easy for everyone to get their hands on if they want to have a non-alcoholic drink if yeah, they went to a bar? Absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, our, our primary uh, intent is to sell through the on-trade. So we sell to a lot of uh, restaurants and bars uh, around, uh, particularly London, but spreading out from there. So, you know, in the, in the higher-end restaurants, we're in, uh, in restaurants like the, the Hicks Group of restaurants, in Atherton restaurants, in yeah. Akasan, in the Fat Duck. Yeah, it's um, become very popular, very, isn't it? Very high-end. Yeah, end. people are wanting it. But also a lot of bars. Um, so there are loads of bars, particularly sort of east and north uh, London, but, but spreading across. And then we, we're going down and out into the West Country and Cornwall yeah, and you know, up into Liverpool and Manchester. And, you know, so we're spreading pretty fast. But also online, uh, you can buy us through, uh, through Borough Wines uh, or, oh, yes. or buy yeah. through Light Drinks. Brilliant. So uh, if anybody wants to, to, to access it online, it's, it's readily available there as well. And are you going to be getting more flavours coming or...? Yeah, Is that a secret. It's a, well, a little on bit a need to know basis. <laughs> <laughs> but no, look, we've brewed with about 150 teas, as I said. So we've got a, a big portfolio of different uh, different drinks we'd love to bring out at the right time. At the moment, we've got four. Uh, we've got the three of them uh, out there, which uh, are doing very well. We chose those three flavours very much to sit as our oil flush. We look at as our champagne sits in that sort of space. Um, our uh, smokehouse sits more in the cider beer. Uh, area, so yeah, a bit of a replacement nice. over there, and the the dry dragon is a uh, um, is an all day drinking, sort of lighter, more brunch type drink. So it sort of fits that space at the moment. But I've got I've got a, for example three fabulous African teas that have made some incredible uh, kombuchas, which we'd love to launch as a, as an African collection Ooh, at, at some point. We've also got some really special top end ones, some really fantastic, very very expensive teas that are more akin to a champagne with sort of you know really delicate notes of. Rose and vanilla coming through. Lovely. But again, we'd love to do it at some point. Oh, so. But so it really is a great, space. yeah, it's a really great alternative to yeah. any sort of alcoholic drink if you were not um, not a drinker on yeah. in general. So Pairing with food, Brilliant. really great yes. as well. You know, works really well with food. So yeah. Brilliant. All right. Thanks, David. No problem Thank at all. Thank you. Bye. Hello, so this is Laura, the editor of Olive, and I'm here with our lovely drinks writer, Hannah, and sub-editor. Hello. Hello. Um, so today we're picking up on a feature that we had in our February issue, which is still out now for those of you listening early doors, um, about sparkling red wines. Yes. Yes. So Kate, our, Kate Hawkins, our wine expert, she's done a really nice feature for us on red sparkling wine because mm-hmm. we sort of thought it'd be good to explain a bit more about it because it's, it's still little known, isn't it, in most mm. circles, um, but actually can be really delicious. So what, what's your experience of sparkling red wine, Hannah? Um, well, 
you know, obviously everyone loves sparkling white wine. We certainly um, do. <laughs> they're a sort of an incredible stat I read, um, which actually is in, in um, February's wine column, is that sales of sparkling wines in the UK have increased 76% in the, fast, in the past five years. That's crazy, Which is it? massive. Um, but obviously, you know, by that we mean... Prosecco, mostly. Yeah. Champagne, that kind of thing. Um, red sparkling wine is something that I think we're less familiar with and maybe a little bit wary of because yeah. it seems... It seems perverse, let's yeah, be honest. It seems a little bit, it seems a little bit odd. Um, but actually, most, most, most wine-producing regions that produce sparkling whites will also make sparkling reds. Interesting. But just in much smaller quantities. So I think that's perhaps why it's... Um, it's a bit chicken and egg. Common. Yeah, yeah and demand and supply and all that stuff. Th- sometimes I think people don't know how to how to approach it. Really, I mean, I took a um, last summer. Um, I went to a, a sort of gathering at my friend's house, and I took a bottle of sparkling red. And um, I think people were just um, were a little bit not flummoxed, but <laughs> perturbed. Yeah, they, they were like because I think they were expe- they had sparkling. I think they were expecting rosé sparkling. Yeah, not the full taste of a red red wine, but a bit, but you know, fizzy. Yeah, I, I'm lucky enough to have actually um, tried a few sparkling red wines in northern Italy. So for those of you that are probably familiar with a sparkling red, it might be Lambrusco, mm-hmm. um, which is produced in northern Italy. And I've tried it over there. And it, I could definitely say some of them are required taste. It's it's not as you would expect, you know, when you drink a sparkling wine, you expect that really either refreshing or crisp or, you know, like biscuity or all yeah. those sorts of flavours that you expect from a white sparkling wine or a champagne. So it it is different, but I think it definitely has a place depending on what you're eating or even as, you know, a refreshing drink. Um, So we're actually going to try some today, aren't we? Yes, it's very exciting. Which uh, we're doing it for you listeners. Um, So we thought we'd start with um, one of the bottles recommended in the feature, which is a classic Lombrusco, right? Tell us a bit about that, Hannah, while I open the bottle. Okay, so this is uh, £9 from M&S. And um, so, yeah, this is very much a, a kind of classic classic of its type um it's quite low in alcohol only uh, only 11 percent um and it's the kind of thing that you'd have with sort of like an everyday meaty meal like spaghetti where we've um we've paired it with the spaghetti and meatballs in our february issue um sort of quite dry um but quite fruity at the same time okay and right, Laura, i'm i'm a bit clumsy so Laura's going to do all the bottle opening there, there we, we go. go that's a very satisfying sound isn't it lovely so firstly the smell wow yeah it's incredible <laughs> really really nice smell how would you describe that hannah well definitely there's plummy you know, yeah plummy really really lovely fragrant fruit aromas mm. um it does smell lighter than a red wine you don't have that kind of yeah the heaviness of it yeah i've just had a sip um and that is really delicious really refreshing mm. but with a real depth to it as well definitely that's really enjoyable. That's so delicious. how would you um, serve this? Would you would you keep it warm like you would, well, say room temperature, like a traditional red wine or chill or...? Uh, it's best served chilled, actually. Okay. So I think that's that's a way of making it seem or make it feel a bit more refreshing. Yeah. Um, so again, I think possibly that's why it, it, it's lightness and the fact that you can serve it chilled makes it not... I mean, it's great served with, with, with dark kind of savoury meaty dishes but yeah. um you know it would also be good with um desserts okay um, particularly you know chocolatey desserts and um funny you should say that hannah just to yes. interject you there i've brought some chocolate along just oh, for how convenient. more research purposes um so there you go this is one of my favorite chocolates at the moment it's a green and black velvet edition yes, dark chocolate and let you have a little snap of that can not too much please <laughs> save some for me that's the thing again we're potentially used to say drinking a little nip of pulse or something in chocolate mm. but this is a really nice thing to do we sort of did it to tie in with valentine's day as an alternative mm. romantic drink it's quite particularly when it's a bit chilly and cold mm. and it's not something kind of to warm, warm your cockles really mm. that's lovely mm. very impressed with that <clears throat> um so yeah that's a great one one thing we were talking about earlier before we got stuck in was that I suppose it's not to think of these as a, a, like a big Malbec or something like that. Mm. That it's kind of, if any, anybody's been drinking lighter red wines, mm. like a Pinot Noir or something like that, mm. then it's kind of more akin to that, isn't it? 
Definitely. And it's quite a good introduction if, if you don't normally drink red wine. Mm. Um, because it's a bit lighter, a bit more playful. I think they're quite sort of... It's an interesting way to get into, to get into that type. Yeah. It would also, I think work with um, meatier fish dishes um, or perhaps, you know, anything with sort of um, you know, chorizo, you know, kind of hearty, hearty, bold flavours. So Laura's just opening up a sparkling Shiraz from Australia. Um, and so sparkling Shiraz is really popular in Australia. Okay. Um, so hopefully we will find out why. They're very trendy winemakers, aren't they? Mm. Right. I've already forgotten whose glass is who. Is that yours? That's my glass, yeah. Wonderful. All right. So we're just pouring the next one. It's actually surprising how dark the colour is. I think mm. you might almost expect it to look like a rosé or something yes, or a blush. Um, but you've still got quite a big depth of, of colour in there, haven't you? Mm. And in terms of the fizz, it's probably not as kind no. of dramatically fizzy as, say, uh, a champagne or a Prosecco. These ones are... You're not going to overflow the glass if you fill up. No. These are more kind of like effervescent, I would say. Mm. So, so and that smells a little bit more, um, a little bit more chocolatey, perhaps. Yeah, that one's definitely darker. more robust, isn't it, than mm. than the Lambrusco? Definitely weightier, I'd say that one. How does Kate? Uh, what does she recommend serving with this one? The great thing about Kate's column is she will explain. For those of you that haven't read it in the magazine, it also goes online as well. Is we'll give Kate a subject each issue. This one being sparkling red wines. In our March issue, which is out soon, we've also got one on how um, climate change is affecting what wines we shop for. She'll give us like a lesson on that subject, mm-hmm. and then she'll give you the bottles to try in a range of different price points as well. So this one's slightly more. Is that right than the last yes. one we tried? So it's twelve ninety five. So it's a little bit more expensive. Okay, um, still pretty reasonable though yeah, for a okay. sparkling bottle. Like you know, if you're champagne, you're talking thirty quid at mm. least, aren't you? So Definitely. still reasonable. Um, so she recommends we try it with. Um, so this is recipes from the February issue. Um, it's the steak, bur- steak burgers with peppercorn sauce dip. Yeah. And as well as a nutty caramel tart. Yeah, I can definitely see that this can stand up to, like, bigger flavours. Definitely. It's definitely got more um, welly to it. <clears throat> but, I w- you know, again, it's not... It's different to what you're used to, but it's really not unpleasant. It's, it's a really lovely, lovely drink. and some, It's a talking point as well, isn't mm, it? Which is definitely. a great thing. And it's very drinkable. Like, yeah, very I'm going to have another sip while, while you talk. <laughs> <laughs> These wines don't seem like they're accessible, but actually they really are. Yeah. And they make for a very enjoyable drink. Definitely. Mm. Um, we have got a blow the budget option though, haven't we? Which I'm really intrigued by. I haven't tried this one. Oh, yes. We yes. don't normally have this pricier bottle in the magazine, but this one apparently was too good to leave out, Kate said. So, so yes, this is a, a Rockford sparkling black Shiraz, uh, which is um, £75 from Vintners. Okay. Vintners, how do say that? Um, and she actually says, just drink it. You don't even have to drink with anything. It's just okay. actually good enough. That's how good it is. Okay. It's as costly as a great champagne, but it's as good as one as well. So Okay. So anything else we need to know about sparkling red wine, Hannah? Mostly just to reiterate what we've just talked about, which is um, it's surprisingly accessible. Surprisingly versatile. They can go quite well with either savoury, meaty dishes or with kind of desserts. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you should um, definitely pick up a bottle shortly definitely check out uh, the options in your supermarkets in your wine merchants and have a look out for them on wine lists and restaurants as well we really recommend you trying it and being a little bit experimental it's worth it okay brilliant thank you so much hannah and uh, look out for the wine column in future issues thanks guys bye hi there so this is janine and ellie hi and we have come to the um Canterbury Arms in beautiful Islington in North London <laughs> for the 2018 Scotch Egg Challenge. Um, it's all hotting up. We're going to grab some of the judges. We're going to grab some of the contestants. We're going to taste some of the eggs. We're hopefully going to get some top tips on how to make them at home. What makes the best Scotch egg? Yeah, mm. Ellie's going to be converted from an egg hater <laughs> into an egg lover. I'm going to try. <laughs> um, so yeah, hang on. We'll be, we'll be stopping and starting, but um, we'll be grabbing some of the judges soon and having a chat. Cheers, Ellie. Okay, so I've managed to grab Osh, who is the founder of the Scotch Egg Challenge. Hi, Osh. Welcome to the Olive Podcast. Hi, Janine. Podcast. Good to see you. Um, so tell me how it came about in the first place. It was when 
um, Twitter kind of started and we yeah. were using it to promote our business, which was the ship in Wandsworth, one of the Young's pubs. And um, we were realising that putting uh, photographs on the internet in 2010 was quite good for engagement and yeah. got people talking. Because that was way back at the beginning of... Kind of, I suppose, certainly <laughs> for Twitter it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what, what year was that? 2010. 2010, right. Um, and so we were posting photographs of our food and we said, we reckon this is the best scotch egg in the land. Yeah. And of course, other... Every, everyone weighed in. <laughs> other, other businesses weighed in and said, yeah. we've got a better one. Yeah. Uh, and I remember the Alex in Wimbledon was one of the ones that did. And yeah. uh, they're actually competing tonight as well. Oh, amazing. Um, and I think the first one, we managed to cobble together about 15 contestants. And yeah. uh, everyone came down to the pub, cooked their scotch eggs, had a few beers. We had some professional judges to judge them. Yeah. Uh, they crowned the winner, the Draper's Arms in Islington. Okay. And um, it sort of went on as an annual thing from then. I mean, it's not serious. It's, it's, it's quite a nice competition to get people together. Although, I have to say, in the, in the past few years, the, the, the um, chefs have got very competitive. I was gonna, yeah, <laughs> everything I see online uh, makes me think, well, but it is serious. Because when chefs yeah. are involved and when their reputation is at stake and when it's something... As particular as a Scotch egg, which everyone's got an opinion on, then yeah. it, it kind of gets that way, doesn't it? Well, that's why I think it's kind of lasted and it's always had quite a bit of an appeal, yeah. the Scotch egg challenge, because everyone likes to talk about it and everyone has a has a, a friendly memory of, of eating one, yeah. you know. And, and, and it's amazing the different... Um, textures and styles and ingredients exactly. and ways of doing really it and eggs switch and it up, is it, should it be runny or should it be yeah. hard and all those things that people just are, are, are captivated by and, yeah. and, and it's, 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 it's really great fun. What's the weirdest one that you've eaten over the last six, seven years? I had one which was uh, prawn toast and scallop uh, in an egg which was uh, made from squid and uh, and some, I think it was codro in the middle to make it go right. That is orange. Yeah, that's, that's probably invented. Fishy. Was it good? Um, surprisingly, yes. Well, unsurprisingly, it, yeah. it was very good. But uh, but um, whether it would qualify as a Scotch egg or not is yeah. very uh, debatable. Are Scotch eggs the ultimate pub snack? Do you think? I think it is very close between the. Scotch egg and the sausage roll. The sausage roll's yeah. a good one. And they both have, you know, something great about them is that you can have a pint in one hand yeah. and the snack in the other. Yeah. There's a few <laughs> other things you can do that yeah, with. Yeah, absolutely. Apart from maybe a bag of crisps, but it's great to have a Scotch egg in a pub because it really complements beer very yeah. well, particularly pale ales like Young's yeah. or, you know, hoppy beers because yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got that sort of fatty sausage and you've got these, wonder- and on the other side you've got the aroma and the and the dryness of the hops. It really is a great thing so, to go along so with So we are beer. in a pub, so you would say go for a pale ale or something with a bit of depth Absolutely. to it. Absolutely. I think something traditional lager. English. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, It does go with lager yeah. as well, to be honest. On a but, summer's day maybe, if you're sitting yeah. in the garden. Absolutely, but, you know, I, I, honestly uh, a pint of Young's bitter a really good Scotch egg. It's it, it's heaven. It's cool. a great, great. All right. Well, um, we're, we're right at the beginning of the night. Um, hopefully, going to get all the way through to the end to see the winner. But thanks very much for chatting to Absolute us. Absolute pleasure, Janine. Good Thank to see you. you. So we've managed to grab. Been a bit naughty. We've managed <laughs> to grab a list of some of the Scotch eggs. This is actually yeah. you, you can know what they're all are by the time this comes out, but nobody knows about this. Right now, so let's go secret. through. What have we got? Um, we've got a very... I'm going to say who's doing them. But no. on the list we have. A beef and haggis with mm. dashy sauce. That sounds quite cool. We've got a paella scotch egg. Oh my god! Going for a Spanish that. twist. Presumably that's going to have some kind of rice, some rice. coating on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, we've got we're... black pudding and bacon jam. I think black wow. pudding's quite a popular choice. Um, yeah. Osh was just saying that in the past they've had things like black pudding chorizo and haggis in. So. Because it's in the sausage family, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It has that meaty yeah. part of it still. Um, We've also got a very vegan Scotch egg. So, I'm, in, I really want to try it. Yeah, that, that's coming out early. So, hopefully, yeah. we'll, we'll get to try that one. We think as it gets noisier and noisier and busier and busier we're probably going to get less and less <laughs> chance to try these scotch eggs yeah um, we've also got which sounds really lovely a Ooh. masala spice scotch egg with dal relish wow I really like that the sound that of that sounds great. that sounds great and then we've got some classic pork chilli and fennel yeah. just going for a bit of spicing yeah we were just we were just chatting through with Osh and he did say that um, he said out of the past 
seven years of competition, he would say like 80% of the like favoritism went towards a more classic, classic. Scotch egg. Yeah, As in, people want what they know. Yeah, people like the twist, but then they keep getting dragged back to what makes a Scotch the egg meaty. a Scotch egg. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, we better get this list back to uh, who it belongs to. <laughs> so I've just bumped into industry legend Joe Warwick. Industry legend, thank yep. you. <laughs> Yeah, of, that's that's um, what I want on my gravestone. Yeah. Writer and author of Where Chefs Eat, a brilliant book about where chefs eat yeah, all new, over the world. Yeah, new edition about to come out, <laughs> third edition about to come out in March, available from fighting.com. <laughs> and long-time compare of the Scotch Egg Challenge. And, and yes, and more relevant to right now. Yes, yeah, so Scotch Egg Challenge, this is the eighth year. Yeah, eighth year. And I think I've been comparing it for about six, yeah. I think, five or six. So what's changed? Uh, no, I mean, it's got it's got kind of bigger. I mean, it started off, we did it at The Ship, which uh, Oshin's pub yeah. originally, which was down in Wandsworth, and then we moved it here, I think, three, four years ago. Yeah. Um, it's, it's I think, the, the diversity of the contestants. Yeah. Not the contestants, but what they're doing with the eggs, yeah. you know. I, um, I'm keeping my powder dry. But this <laughs> evening, I know, I know Osh has ran through them with you. But, you know, there's all sorts of wacky ones. I remember yeah. one year we had a Peruvian egg. I think we got a vegan egg this yeah. evening. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's kind of redefining what a Scotch egg should be. Okay. And there's a lot of grumpy people, including some of the judges, who think... <laughs> who think... Is it going to be fisticuffs No, who think that a Scotch egg... Has you know, to be. say Bob Granlees from The Guardian, for example, thinks a Scotch egg has to be a hen or a duck egg with sausage meat of some description, probably pork and breadcrumbs. So if anything else, you won't have it. And if you go beyond that, yeah, yeah. maybe get a little bit stroppy. I mean, it, there's, there's been, I mean, I, I think I did some judging in the early years. Um, I'm glad I'm not having to eat 23 eggs tonight. Yeah. I have the privilege <laughs> of just being able to dip in and out when I see one that I really yeah, like yeah, the look yeah. of. You'll be cherry picking. No-nos for me are anything with fish in it. I don't think a fishy Scotch eggs work for me. I can't remember if we've got any this mm. evening. There is there is one I've seen. Actually, there might be two. But you know what I was thinking? It's like kedgeree, egg, fish. Yeah, so but you're smoked in the haddock, yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Never say never. All the right, mind yeah. is a parachute. It doesn't work unless it's open. But, <laughs> but, but generally oh. speaking, the ones that haven't worked for me in the past would have been that. Or, or, you know, what you want. You want it to be, ideally, you want it to be... Yeah. that egg to be perfectly cooked so when you yeah. cut into it bite into it it's just the, the, the yolk is just set and that's, ah, that's see this is what we're going to be asking is that it, because runny, well, runny yolks are really popular now in scotch run, eggs runny yolks are really popular I mean, look at where this has come from this has come from something that was you know invented supposedly by Fortnum and Masons a hundred years ago yeah. for picnic baskets and then totally destroyed and debased by, by becoming a convenience food. You know, the ones that yeah. you would get in, in, in supermarket or, or uh, petrol station petrol forecourt station, it's that the are kind of rattle yeah, when you, yeah, when you yeah, yeah. And, and taste disgusting. And then the gastro pub kind of rescues Re, yeah, this. And it's a wonderful thing if it's done fresh. And the, the nice thing about these is they're coming straight from the kitchen yeah, they are. to the plate. Yeah. And that's, to me, that's what a modern Scotch egg's got to be. It's got to be fresh and it's got to, you know, it depends. If you leave it, I don't want it for me, I don't want it too runny. I don't want it dripping down my chin. You know, it's like, how do you like your how do you like your boiled how do you like your boiled egg and sh soldiers? You know what I mean? Yeah. Some people like it very runny. Yeah. Some people, to me, it's it's just it's that bit where it just just coagulates. Okay. Is that the yeah, word? Yeah, that's just, right. Yeah, just 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 you know, just just there's a bit of moisture there, but it's not like exactly. too. It's not you running. You don't yeah. want it liquid, liquid, okay. liquid. You want it kind of that okay. that magic halfway. You know, just before it okay. coagulates completely. Yeah. Well, we're we're gonna we're gonna see. I think the first one's yeah. coming out soon. Yeah. But yeah, thank, thanks uh, for the insight, Joe. Pleasure. So I've managed to drag um, Callum, Chef Callum, out of the um, kitchens from Holborn Dining Rooms. Um, so what, how many years have you been doing this then? Uh, this is my third year now. Yeah, yeah third, third. I would have thought Scotch Egg is kind of one of your specialities, isn't it? Yeah, I, we sell a lot at the restaurant, <laughs> a lot. Um, how many do you reckon? Probably like 60 a day, something like that, 60, yeah. 70 a day. But... Uh, it's one of my favourite dishes, so I'm yeah. happy. So do you sell it as like a, a bar snack or do you sell it as a starter? No, 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 it's a starter in the oh, restaurant. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a British classic, isn't yeah. it? So, yeah. What do you serve it up with in the restaurant? Uh, we just do a little caper mayonnaise with it. Nice. I don't want to mess around with it too much. I, I, in my opinion, should be fairly simple. As so you're, you're going to go for the... Is that what you're doing tonight, going for a classic, or are you...? Yeah, I, I, I like to go for the classic competition because, in my opinion, it's the harder. 
Right. Right, because... Because there's nowhere to hide. Yeah, exactly. We're not <laughs> doing anything so, like, wacky and... It's just down to, like, accurate cooking, good seasoning, yeah. good ingredients. And, yeah. Yeah. So you're literally going Stone Cold Classic tonight? Oh, almost. Oh, almost. Give us it's, some idea what so you're doing. So we have, uh, yeah, like a, a house white pudding. Um, oh, nice. Made by our wonderful sausage whisperer, Mark <laughs> Drummond, at work. Uh, so he's actually one of your chefs at yeah, work. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he makes... So he's one. Of, he's actually one of my sous chefs, but he's right. just very talented at uh, all things sausage. Right, that's Great, his, his sausage, sausage in his hands well. is amazing. Um, and, so you've yeah. got your own specialist sausage equipment there as well. Yeah, we invested in it because mm. I, I wanted to put a sausage on the menu. Yeah. But I was like... If we do it, I want to do the best sausage. Yeah, in I've heard the way that you work. This is this is classic Callum. Like, if we're going to do it, I'm going to just do it from scratch and, and yeah. Then, yeah. Well, you know, like <laughs> you might as well. And it's a skill that everyone learns then. So it's good for the rest of the team and for me as well. Like. And like cured meat is one of your specialities, isn't it? Because yeah. that's like the basis of a lot of the pies and a lot yeah, of the right. like pastry work and stuff. So, so the white pudding is it quite peppery and? Yeah, I mean. I, I, for tonight, I actually added a little bit more pepper because right. you need to just stand out a little bit. Yeah, Not yeah. to the point where everyone's sneezing, but like... Just like amp up the flavouring a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Think, yeah. yeah. Where do you stand on the egg question? It's what I've been asking everyone. Is the egg, is it runny? Is it hard? Is it in between? What would be your perfect scotch egg, egg, yolk, oh, in the yolk? Mate, if you're not if, if you're not got a runny egg, then you're doing it wrong. Oh, right? I'm calling so I'm calling anyone out. You do not know how contentious that is. Anyone who's doing a hard egg and has a problem with that, come and see me. All right, well, not, I'm waiting for maybe you. Maybe not like hard as in throw it against the wall, but like like on a scale of like say one being a dippy egg and five being a hard boiled. Where would you? Um, okay, so when I explain it to my chefs at work, yeah. I say kind of the same, like when you look for the consistency in a risotto, it should right. be like lava, molten lava. Oh. So it's not, not wet that it's like runny, runny. No. But it should be dippable. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, I get so. you. So it's kind of like, oh, there's like wizardry involved in that, though. I don't even know how you would do that. Are you going to give us any tips for getting that at home? Well, I might mess it up tonight, so we'll find out. <laughs> okay. Well, um, but also, it's like also the egg white. Yeah. Like, if the egg white's not cooked completely, that's a big no-no. No, I, I don't like, like like a snotty white no. is not great. No, no one wants jelly in the white, yeah. do they? But like, but it's a fine line. Okay. So, yeah. So what what times your egg coming out of the kitchen tonight? Uh, should be so it should be out at eight. Out at eight o'clock. Right. Okay. Oh God, someone's announcing yeah, something. Scotch All right, Scotch eggs. Okay. Scotch well, eggs. Thanks very much for coming to chat to us, Colin. Thank you. And good luck. Thank you very much. Too. Okay. Quick, quick interlude. We've had, <laughs> we have had the vegan Scotch egg, which, to my dream, had no egg in. Um, yeah, it was Ellie's dream. Got no actual egg, so she could try that one. Um, and it was a potato. Yeah, it was like a baked potato with a saffron With a crispy center. cumin. I mean, I think for me, I would, as Scotch egg aficionado, <laughs> I would give that, sorry, whoever you are, that, that's a one from me. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll be back with more as it happens. But yeah, that is the, that's the level of wackiness we're, we're getting yeah. to tonight. Okay. <laughs> So I've just stalked Neil Rankin from Tampa out into the beer garden. <laughs> Fuck. How are you doing? I'm not smoking, clearly. <laughs> not, it's not, not I'm smoking. definitely not smoking. There's definitely no smoking not. going There's no on smoke in this podcast. It's, yeah, uh, it's, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> we just tried your egg. Wow. That was so good. It was good. It was all right. I think it's good. I mean, you know, we, we, we've served that at Burns Night, so... We've I'm done like, it before. right, describe the egg. Because I'm, so I'm yeah. we've got, uh, I mean, we buy our own cows and we get whole animals. So we've got a 65 day aged Hereford um, um, cow came in. So yeah. we, we've minced some of the trim off that, Amazing. mixed it with some haggis. Um, and then we've got our dashi curry that we've sort of like splattered all over it. It was so. like a proper umami bomb. Yeah. Like, really. The thing is, I'm, I'm probably a, a Scotch egg traditionalist, but. 
the combination of that, like the sort of salty, like really savoury beef and then the dashi sauce as well. Because the, the dashi, I always think dashi is kind of stockish, but it, it was, you made like a dashi gravy rather than... Yeah, a, it's, yeah. it's like a, well, it's like a curry sauce. It's yeah. like curry sauce. It's made like a traditional curry sauce, but we add dashi yeah. to it. So it gives it that sort of umami lift. And what was your egg yolk game for tonight? What, uh, you? what do you mean? Oh, I think the egg yolks were good. I, <laughs> I, mean, I thought were... they were really good, but is that what you were aiming for? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, yeah, yeah, soft, uh, like, like, you know, it's got to be runny, it's got to be drippy, isn't it? Yeah, but it wasn't like drippy, drippy. It was kind of just yeah. oozy, which I think yeah. is really good because then it held the sauce as well. Yeah. Is this your first year here? Or no, we, we came second last year. Oh, my so, God. Yeah, we did all right. But yeah, yeah I'm not sure the judges' reaction yeah, was you as good thought, as I said. I, I thought well, the I don't know. They were like, they were like <laughs> I don't think it needed the dashy sauce. Like, what are you on? You know, what, what planet are you coming yeah. from? You Wait, know? I mean, I'm a northerner, so anything that has extra sauce, like you're not curry sauce in a Scotch egg. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, yeah, really you know that, that's got to be that's got to be a win. Okay, well, um, I fingers crossed, Neil. That that's moved to the top of my league for now. Good. I mean, I know we're only four eggs in, but anyway, um, thanks for chatting. Thank to you. Us. Cheers. Bye. Managed to grab Felicity Cloak, one of the esteemed judges tonight. We are halfway through the night. It it feels like. It feels quite late. How are you doing? Actually, I'm doing fine, which probably means that I'm quite greedy. I think we've had 12 scotch eggs yeah. so far. Admittedly, I haven't eaten all of every one of them. Yeah. I'm feeling quite chipper, okay. to be honest. What are the standouts for you, good and bad, so far? Um, I think that one of my favourites, actually, was a Scottish white pudding and rare breed pork one. Yeah. Which is quite unusual. It's quite subtle. Like, some of the ones, other nice ones have been kind of mossier and chorizo, and they're very strong flavours, and they're yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. But this one was a new one on me, and I'm quite... Quite a classic new, and a yeah, bit peppery. A new, a new was, convert yeah, to Scottish yeah, yeah. white pudding, and right. I really like it. So, yeah, yeah. that's probably my favourite. Favorite so yeah. far, and and um, can we talk about the baddies? <laughs> um, I'm still not convinced by very fishy fish in um, Scotch eggs. So things like fermented crabs from um, yeah. Far Eastern cooking, and a slightly weird um, Caesar salad one, which really reminded me of scampi fries. I don't think I got that one. We, I just, I was sitting next to a guy who's who's half Thai. And he loved, we just talked about it, he loved the Thai one. I literally had tears running down my face. And everyone in the room was coughing. It so. was, yeah. I've got a cold at the moment, as you might be able to hear. <laughs> and um, that sorted me out. But I just felt like the spice was overpowering. I couldn't taste much else, to be honest, which I thought was a shame. Yeah. And I feel like, um, I feel like the egg yolk has become a massive bone of contention tonight or massive yolk of contention <laughs> so like and I know you've got strong feelings I do yeah, I didn't really realise it until I started thinking about this challenge I don't understand why scotch eggs scotch eggs in the past used to be you know they were we got them hard boiled at school yeah. which are not necessarily the best thing but they're meant to be portable I don't think that if it's a portable eat, snack uh, yeah, isn't it exactly and they're it's meant to be snack. cold really yeah. I don't I don't really dig do runny th- cold yolk so do you think like the ultimate scotch egg I mean because tonight every to be fair we've been treated really well every every scotch egg has come out of the kitchen fresh mm. warm just cut into yeah. and I think chefs have really been going for like variations of a of a runny egg like some yeah. have been a bit runnier than others um, if you need to cough it's fine you're right <laughs> it's, it's fine. that Thai one still <laughs> it's real this is real real time um, but yeah I mean so what, what's your thinking on the yolk, the yolk situation? I, yeah, and even when they're hot, and I, as I said, I don't think a Scotch <laughs> egg ought to be eaten hot. But even when they're hot, the, you, when you cut it, the yolk runs out, and I don't think that's ideal. No. For me, you know, I'm happy that maybe they, you know, we're in the 21st century, maybe they shouldn't be hard-boiled. People are down on hard-boiled eggs these days, <laughs> apparently. Um, but, but I think of, maybe a, a fudgy, yeah, a little jammy, bit of a fudgy think, yolk, like a, maybe an eight-minute yolk would I be I think the Americans call it a jammy egg. A jammy egg? Yeah, a jammy okay. egg. I mean, that's a, yeah, I think that could be I d- lucky. That I didn't could be lucky ma- for me. I seriously didn't make that up. I, think <laughs> I, believe, it's, you. I believe it exists on like Bon Appetit or something, a jammy egg, which is um, maybe what you would get on a, um, a ramen, you know, where it's like, it's sort of set, but it's not quite set. So the outer Slightly bit is... jellied, maybe? No, not jellied, sort of like um, the outer bit of the yolk is set, but the inner bit is moist. Yeah, I, know I just, yeah, I like a slightly sort of fudgy... Yolk, you know, yeah. it, you know, it doesn't need to be powdery. Powdery is clearly bad, but I just think runny yolks—they look great on social media, <laughs> but I'm not not convinced you, about them. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm a should... denier. I am going against the tide of fashion. I'm not blaming any of the chefs here tonight because I know that that's what people yeah. want. 
but for me, no. We had a very impassioned um, anti-Ronnie Yoke from Joe Warwick tonight, and yes. it, it made me laugh <laughs> so much. Joe, Joe's not a judge, by the way, so Joe can't um, Joe, Joe can't influence this. Felicity can. Um, <laughs> I'm not judging on that, really. Yeah, though, I, mean, I, I was going to say, what did everyone... Ronnie Yoke? There's, what, there's been one this evening that has been so runny that by the time I ate it, the yolk had run off the egg. And I right. thought that I marked down for that. But in general, I think that a runny yolk seems to be the fashion at the moment. And I'm not, yeah. not going to mark down on I it. I would say everything needs to be present. <laughs> talking like this is a yeah. very serious thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to mark down it's on it. Seri- <laughs> it's a serious matter. <laughs> I think um, everything needs to be present and correct after the first bite. Mm. It can't just all run out of yeah. the egg. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not a Scotch egg, right? Exactly. Okay. You're not going to be able to take it with you. I think portability is still a criteria for me. We're 12 eggs in. Do you think you found your winner, Felicity Cloak? Um, <laughs> I hope not, because I you know, I need to go back in there with renewed enthusiasm for the is, 12 you, you to got, come. No, I think yeah. we've got 11 to come, so it's not so yeah. bad. But do you think you've got a top I've top got I've, there's there's a couple that I would not be unhappy if they won. Okay, so, good. Yeah, good. I'm, I'm excited. And so, so many enthusiastic and kind of, to, to be honest, like we've got some amazing like top chefs here tonight, and they all look so nervous. It's I know. brilliant. Well, yeah, I feel a little bit bad because they come to you with the microphone and then you give a dabbing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like, yeah. probably giving some Michelin-starred chef a you know, but it's a Scotch egg. You can't hide behind anything. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. It's all about you know yes, exactly egg. serious right. business. Oh, I think you've got to go back in now. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us. More (laughs) eggs. Okay, we're 17 eggs in. We are. It's been it's been tough. Yeah. Um, Ellie, Ellie has actually had a few eggs. I I have eaten some eggs tonight. Uh, it's a milestone. <laughs> so um, I mean, that, I think you've had about three or four, haven't you? I have. Yeah, yeah. I've committed. Um, but I think we're going to check out um, if you want to, because I think it's going to be a long, long night. Yeah. People it's, are it's almost in. nine now. I think we're going to go on to at least 11. So um, if you want to see the results who won, check out our Facebook and Instagram. We yeah. will post the winner we will. with full details. <laughs> if you want to check out some incredible um, Scotch egg recipes, we've got quite a few online, haven't we? We do, so, yeah, lots of. Yeah, go Perfect. check them out. And um, yeah, cheers, Ali. <laughs> and thank you so much for being a... Thank you for thank you for converting me almost to eggs. <laughs> thank you and good night. That was this week's Olive Magazine podcast. If you like this episode or you have any suggestions, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. For more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our brand new March issue now or go and download the app version. Bye for now and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat.